There are 350 types of pasta, with Americans consuming 6 billion pounds of it each year. Italy is the world's largest pasta producer, making over 2 million tons annually. And this is Yoma's Cooking Cast. You're listening to Yoma's Cooking Cast, a podcast dedicated to teaching home cooks how to improve their skills in the kitchen and share a mutual appreciation for food. Welcome to Yoma's Cooking Cast. I'm James Yoma. And I'm Andre Fernandez. So I'm very excited to have our guest today. Today we have Chef Jeremy Lett on the show. Jeremy has over 20 years of restaurant experience. He began his culinary experience as a, quote, terrible saute cook who only got the job because he, quote, knew a guy. Eventually, Jeremy learned how to run a kitchen, spent several years in restaurant operations, training, supply chain. He's been a corporate research and development chef for a national restaurant chain working for multiple brands. He currently is the executive chef of a multi-unit fine dining restaurant, and in his spare time, Jeremy likes to cook in his home without writing down ingredients, measuring anything, or taking pictures of the food. I'm very fortunate that I had the opportunity to meet and work with Jeremy. When I started my first corporate job, Jeremy was also very quickly, I learned, uh, a degenerate too. And pretty much since then, we've gotten along great because Jeremy's awesome. So Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. We're excited to have you. Sure. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's funny. I remember you coming into the office uh, and it was around the time that both of us were transitioning from the world of restaurant operations into the world of corporate restaurant life, I guess. And it's it's quite a transition. So it was, it was cool. We were both going through that at the same time. I think we're, we were both a little more rough around the edges back then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, and I think anything moving from night shift to day shift, you could tell those who have already appropriately adjusted uh, using Kathy as the example. And then probably using Tom as the other example of he's still a restaurant guy. It's just, it's in his blood and bones. There's nothing that's ever going to bleed that out from Tom. That's the truth. That's why I love him. All right. So we're excited today. We're going to talk about pasta. And if there's anybody I know who is the pasta authority, it's Jeremy. So are all pastas created equal? Like let's, you know, let's start with that. Cause I'm, I'm definitely the guy that I go cheap and I will buy the store brand where shopping is a pleasure. Or I'll buy the Aldi brand that's, you know, 87 cents. Should I spend the extra 13 cents and buy Barilla or one of the other brands? Or should I just keep buying the cheapest pasta uh, known to man? So I would recommend that you do spend the, uh, the extra money and buy a little bit nicer pasta. But, you know, having said that, it's not, it's not necessary, right? If you are on a strict budget and all you can afford is the, you know, the, the generic brand, it's going to be okay. But I would recommend, you know, it's, you don't have to pay that much more. You can get a really good store-bought brand. I, I think Barilla does a really nice job. I also really like the Checo. Those are found in most, most grocery stores pretty easily. Or you could go like, you know, the route of maybe some more of the more expensive artisanal pastas, the dried ones that you see that, you know, they'll usually come in like a, a paper bag, you know, packaging or whatever, and they're going to be a little more. And it's, it's like anything. You get what you pay for. You know, if you, you spend the extra like 25 cents and get the nicer pasta, you're going to get a better pasta. But having said that, you can make a great pasta with, you know, just the generic stuff. As long as you cook it properly, I think that's probably more important than the, the pasta that you buy. And by cook it properly, you mean just boil it until it's complete mush, right? Yes, that's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, uh, no. Um, 
So for me, when I'm cooking pasta, these are a few of the things I like to think about. You know, one thing I would say to make sure you have is enough water. Oftentimes you see people cooking pasta in just a little bit of water. and You really want enough volume of water to, to cook the pasta evenly on all sides. You also want that water to be to a full rolling boil so that it's going to cook evenly. Another important thing is to make sure you have uh, salt in your water. You know, remember, pasta is just flour, water, and maybe eggs. So there's not a lot going on in those ingredients. So you want to make sure your water is nice and salted so that your pasta doesn't taste bland. And then uh, another thing I'll pay attention to is how you cook your pasta. You, you want your pasta to be cooked to al dente, which I don't know that this is the literal transition, but uh, it means something along the lines of thumb to the tooth in Italian. And what that means is like as you bite into the pasta, it's not crunchy, but it's also not super soft. There's a little bit of texture, especially on the inside of the pasta, that just gives way to your teeth as you bite into it. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase that Evan Pinke uses called toothsomeness that I think is a, a good way for me to kind of think about that. You want it to like just give a little bit, but not too much. And when you when you cook pasta to a nice al dente texture, that's going to make your pasta come out 100 times better. A lot of people, they don't know how much salt to put into the water when they're cooking it. And and I try to tell them, you know, it has to be as salty as the sea, but there's people that haven't been to the beach before, especially, you know, in the Midwest. So do you have a trick or, you know, ratio that you would normally use that somebody in the, at cooking at home could kind of follow? Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I like, uh, for me, I'm a kind of numbers person. So I like to think in terms of ratios and I like things. I'm also not a very, don't have very good memory. So I like to think of things in terms of very simple ratios. So for pasta, it's really, really easy. It's one, 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 one pound of pasta per one gallon of water per one fluid ounce of uh, salt. So those of you in the Midwest, if you've never been to a beach, besides adding going to a beach to your life goals, that's how much salt makes it taste like the ocean. So I have to say that that's probably the one thing that I did know about pasta. I was very fortunate that when we did work together, I got to ask a bunch of questions as you cooked. And that was one thing you guys are very good about heavy salt within the water. It tasted just like seawater. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, so I did learn that one piece. I also grew up watching my mom make pasta and my mom always added oil. So that's how I learned to make pasta. Should you add oil to the water? No, absolutely not. It's just unnecessary. The only time uh, it's ever going to be useful to add oil to pasta is if you're cooking some pasta, you're going to cool it and then try to use it later. You may want to add a little bit of oil just so it doesn't stick, but putting oil in that water is not going to get into your pasta. It's just going to get dumped out when you strain your pasta. So it's really just kind of, um, sorry, just a waste of time. Yeah. That, the oil on the pasta that you're going to use later is more of like an industry use, you know, where, where we make tons of pasta, cool it down and then, you know, reheat it to order. But a lot of the people listening, hopefully they're cooking at home and they're making that pasta for whatever sauce they have in that moment. So yeah, you're right. The oil in the water, which is something I grew up with. And I think other people have also has, does nothing uh, to benefit your dish. It actually doesn't help with your, uh, with your sauce. It won't stick to the pasta. Yeah, that's right. I'd say, you know, for the home cook, you know, what you want to do is you want to have your sauce ready to go in a saute pan you know, I, I like to have my sauce heated and ready, and I'll just turn it off while I'm cooking my pasta. As my pasta is almost ready, I'll turn my sauce back on. You want to drain that pasta, but don't rinse it. 
because the water that the pasta is cooked in is going to have a lot of salt and a lot of starch that comes out of the pasta into the water. So that starch and salt in the water is actually going to help with your sauce. When you put your pasta back into your, your saute pan with your sauce, you want to turn that heat back on, toss it, and let the sauce, the pasta, and a little bit of that pasta water cook, and it will all incorporate into a real nice sauce. That starch will help thicken it a little bit. Um, at this time, I would add any kind of grated cheese or any fresh herbs you want to add and, and just toss that pasta and then serve the pasta, um, you know, right away. And that's going to be your best results. There's something about the, those key things that we we're talking about was the salting and the, and how much to put into it and what steps to go after that. But in a world where we have everything that's driven by social media and like quick recipes and quick tricks, uh, this thing is one of my biggest pet peeves about uh, social media and cooking is you watch these tasty videos. Let's I'm just using them as an example that they throw pasta into cold water and then just bring it up to a boil. It doesn't cook evenly. And people don't realize that, that it looks fun when they do it in the video. It's interesting. Or there was a new one that they they're cooking it in the pasta sauce, the, the dried pasta. And I think like half of Italy threw a fit about it as they should, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's insane that the simple things that we just talked about is going to make you quality and great pasta. And then the stuff you see, you know, on your Snapchats, on people's Instagrams, sometimes I, I look at these videos and I'm like, why are they, why is that happening? Like, why is he taking a torch to the water and then throwing the pasta in or whatever the case may be? They do the really weirdest things. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost creating a solution to a problem that doesn't exist, right? Like, yeah, you know, exactly. that's, that's cool and gimmicky on, on social media. And look, yeah. I'm a food science guy. Can you cook pasta in liquid that's not water? Yeah, you can cook it in the sauce. Is it going to be the best pasta? Probably not. I've never tried that, but I would doubt it. So you mean I've been cooking my pasta wrong by using a turkey fryer? Because I saw it on Tasty, so I assumed that that was normal. <laughs> yeah. There was, um, so, I think it was Iron Chef and what was it? Um, what's her name? She was, uh, she was on the Food Network. She used to tip all the servers really badly. She had like forty dollars a day. Yeah, Rachel Ray, that's her. Yeah, yeah. She, I think she was on Iron Chef. Oh. And she, and she, <laughs> that's how we remember. She she would like cook pasta in red wine, and people threw a fit about it. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah. That's like a real was, waste of wine. Yeah, but I bet it was delish. Huh? Huh? Wasn't that her word? Oh, that and EVOO. O -O. Yeah, oh, that's what it's EVOO. Oh, oh I, I, uh, that drives me nuts when she says that. Nobody says that. I agree. It's EVO. This is how you, you get a full meal and tip the server nothing so you can get a coffee. Everybody tip your servers. They're working for a living. Is there a trick for perfect pasta every time? Is that just the, the, the maintenance is making sure not to overcook it or have it break your teeth? I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest piece of it really is just getting the texture right. Um, you know, I'd say another thing that a, a good tip for the home cook is I touched on this before, but you want to toss your pasta with the sauce. You don't want to cook your pasta and then put it in like a bowl and then just ladle the sauce on top. You see that uh, done in homes and actually see that done in, in restaurants sometimes too. It's not going to give you the best experience. In Italy, the pasta is the star of the dish and the sauce is just kind of the carrier. It's the thing that you know, goes with the pasta. So you don't need a ton of sauce. You want to make sure you toss it with the pasta and then also think about what type of pasta you're serving and what type of sauce you're, you're serving it with. Those, those two things should go together. If I'm doing like a light, you know, garlic and oil sauce, then I want to do, um, you know, maybe a thinner pasta, a capellini or linguine. I think that goes very well with, with garlic and oil. 
But if I'm doing a chunkier ragu or some type of, you know, meat sauce that has some, you know, some kind of braised meat in it, then I, I want to use a, a rigatoni, one of my personal favorites, or, or a penne or something like that that can hold up to those the, that chunky sauce and it won't fall right off the pasta. So you want to consider the pasta and the sauce together, I think is very important. When I think of pasta sauce, you know, I always think of a tomato-based sauce. That's probably what's most common um, or an Alfredo. But for the home cook, when I think of like a tomato sauce, it's probably like a jar ragu or something, or, you know, I'll, I'm guilty of it too. I'll take canned tomatoes and throw that in a pot and just add whatever random stuff and then hope it reduces down. So like, do you have any recommendations on making good sauce or sauce options or, you know, what, what's your preference? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, a, a jarred sauce will be fine, but I would recommend, you know, if you have a, if you have your pasta and you've cooked it correctly, and it's a nice al dente, or if you're making pasta at home and you make a, a, a you know, a homemade dough, your pasta is going to be pretty good quality. So really you don't need a very fancy sauce. One of my favorites is a sauce called cacio e pepe. Very, very simple. It's, it's just cheese, butter, and uh, freshly cracked black pepper. And it's amazing. And it doesn't, you know, it's, you don't really, it's very, very easy to make. If you can melt some butter and crack some pepper, then you can make cacio e pepe. But it's, it's, it's so simple, but it's, it's so delicious when it's on a, a freshly cooked pasta that's, that's done, you know, to a nice texture or, a, or if you just made some pasta earlier today and, you know, you, you made it some, some pappardelle or some fettuccine or something, you toss it in that, in that cacio e pepe. It's going to be excellent. Another one that I like a lot that's very simple is uh, garlic and oil. And that you just take some fresh garlic cloves, slice those, maybe a touch on the thicker side, saute those until they start to brown, and then add a little parsley, salt, black pepper. And sorry, I forgot to mention, cooking that obviously in a, in a good olive oil, a good extra virgin olive oil. Toss your pasta in then, it's going to be great. You know, it's, uh, it's again, really, it's about the pasta. If your pasta is made, cooked properly, then your sauce is really just secondary, and, um, and you're probably going to have a pretty good result. The simplicity of, of those ingredients uh, kind of speaks to the quality of them as well. You know, like a good olive oil, you want a good Parmesan, you want fresh cracked pepper and spending that money. And I, we talk about this in our podcast that, and previously, just putting a little bit of investment into better quality ingredients is going to turn out so much better overall for your, your meal and whether it's for your family or your friends. Yeah, 100%. Maybe use like your dad's Hulu account for a week save the five dollars and then apply that towards a good olive oil and a slightly better pasta so i do have to say I, it's interesting hearing the cacio e pepe as an actual sauce because when i was a kid i remember being home sick from school my aunt picked me up and that was the first time i ever remember having very vividly remember having like buttered noodles so i had buttered noodles with cheese and i didn't know that was like a real name i thought it was just a like a cheap easy meal so it's kind of interesting to think that that's like a real dish. Yeah, it's a real thing, man. And it, it, I'm telling you, if, if you make a good pasta and you serve with cacio e pepe, it'll blow people away every time. It's, it's very, very simple. As long as you, your pasta's done well, you don't need a super fancy sauce. Now, you can make a nice sauce, and it's going to be excellent too. But, uh, you know, the, the thing I like about pasta is it's, it's very rustic. It's, you know, it's, it's born out of, you know, in a lot of times, some of the best food is born out of poverty. So, you know, a lot of the poorer regions of Italy, they would come up with these very, very simple dishes that they've stood the test of time. And if you go to those regions in Italy, they're still, you know, serving it that way. And they're, they're known for that in that specific area. And it's because it's, it works. Just on the topic of sauces, I think we get a lot 
we get accustomed to what we eat here in the States and, and a lot of things we call a certain name of a sauce is not necessarily the reality of it in where it originated from. And bolognese is the, the prime example. When I, we went to, my wife and I went to Italy on a belated honeymoon last year, pre-corona and we had bolognese and it was completely different than what we have in the States. It wasn't in tomato sauce and it was meat, you know, it was just meat and, and cooked in its own juices a little bit of tomato and then a little bit of cream in there to kind of bind everything together and add some richness to it. And it's really known for the Northern region of, of Italy. That's the main area we kind of went through. So we had bolognese in two different places. I, I, I like to ask the people in Italy, their perspective on like American culture and the food that we call Italian. And they're like, no, 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 that's ragu. And I'm like, oh, they're like, we serve that here. It's not, but we don't call it bolognese. I'm like, oh, okay. Well then I'll just shut my mouth and eat it. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that's 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 very true. Um, really, most of what we know as Italian food in America is, is very very different in Italy. Um, it's usually much much simpler in Italy than what what we do here. Agreed. And I think to your point about the regional places known for their foods, you know, even the towns themselves are are very based on certain things they make. Like you know, Parma is known for Parmesan, and if you can't call it the Parma because it's not from there. You just say, you know, Parm, Parmesan. And then um, what's the other one? It's, we, we, we know it as bologna growing up. <laughs> Mortadella? Mortadella, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And when I went to Italy, I was like, look at all this bologna hanging up here. <laughs> I, I knew, I knew better. I didn't, I didn't make a fool of myself. I didn't say, hey, can I get some bologna? No, I knew it was Mortadella. I've, I've, I've experienced it, but it was cool to see like where it came from. Like, okay. And then that's been bastardized into, you know, uh, a solid piece of bologna that we eat when, when we're growing up. Nothing wrong with cheap tube meat. Tube meat. How else do you describe it? <laughs> it's, like, wow. it's like a. <laughs> so, as a home cook, I've always wanted to make home pasta. I've done it once when I was a kid. My dad got this fancy pasta contraption. You know, we absolutely just decimated my kitchen with flour everywhere. And I had this little crank handle thing and we made like, I don't know, I guess you call it like a fettuccine pasta. And then it made a great statement piece above our fridge for nine years. Do I need special tools or any experience really to make homemade pasta? Or can I just make it with whatever random utensils I have attached to my body? Yeah, so the answer to that is no, you don't need any special equipment. Um, I, I do know the machine you're talking about. That's the little one that has the hand crank that, that clips on your table. And it, it does make a huge mess. Flour gets everywhere. Yep. Um, and those are cool. I have one. Um, and it sits in the cabinet. I don't, I don't really use it very often. I would say if you're going to try to make a lot of sheeted pasta, like fettuccine or pappardelle or something like that, um, if you have a stand mixer, I'd buy a, a mixer attachment. If you want to, you know, be able to produce more uh, at a quicker rate, those are going to be a little more uh, efficient than those like hand crank ones. But I still think the hand crank ones are kind of fun to do. I, I, I do like them. You know, for me, if I'm going to make pasta, I really do enjoy making it by hand. I think it's something that is worth learning, especially for the home cook. If you want to learn how to make dough, Pasta is an excellent way to start because dough without yeast is so much easier than dough with yeast. Um, once you introduce do, uh, yeast to dough, the difficulty level goes up by like 9 million. So um, pasta is very simple. There's no yeast. It's just flour, water, maybe some eggs. And that's basically it. 
Um, you can shape it by hand. You don't need a dough hook. You don't need a mixer. You can roll it out by hand. You don't need a, a sheeter or any of the, the thing I said that goes on to the KitchenAid. You don't need that. All you need is a rolling pin. Um, I use a very generic, cheap um, Walmart brand rolling pin. You know, I, I have a very small kitchen. I'd love to have one of those nice um, Italian, like, pasta rolling sticks. You know, they're called Mattarellos, and I'd love to have one because I think I'm a fancy chef. But I, I don't have room in my kitchen, so I don't. And it's fine. Uh, you know, and I think, Andre, you'd mentioned you, you don't even have a rolling pin. You could use a bottle of wine to roll out your pasta dough, and it's, it's going to be fine. It's not going to be the best tool for it, but you can make it work. Um, and, you know, you can cut fettuccine with a knife. You don't have to have, like, any kind of pasta cutter. You can shape, you know, pasta by hand. Now, you're not going to be able to make rigatoni by hand or spaghetti. Like, you need an extruder for that. But you can make certain shapes by hand, um, and it's going to be – it'll be delicious, quite honestly. So I don't have to fly to Italy like season two of Master of None to figure out how to make pasta. Such a good show. Another show I have no idea what you're talking about, but no. Such a good show. Oh, my God. It's so good. But point being, I don't have to fly to Italy to learn to make pasta, right? No, no. But it'd be fun, though. Yeah, it would be, be fun. Like the best experience. I haven't even made it to Tarpon Springs, and that's like an hour away. So some, something tells me me going to Italy is not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> so with that, if I want to make pasta at home, do I need to buy special ingredients? Can I just use all-purpose flour? I mean, I, I have water, so that's always good. Do I, do I need to be like, do I need New York water? Is there like a gimmicky thing that I need to make sure that it comes out to be perfect? It needs to be warm. I can handle that. Get you a New York water shipped in. Listen, there's a pizza place in Tampa that that's like, that's their claim to fame is that they ship in their New York water and that's what makes their pizza better than anybody else's. So and I can tell you, there's a pizza place that is four miles from them that I think is far superior. And I'm pretty sure they use good old Tampa tap. So <laughs> what's the place you think is better than uh, the one in downtown? It's a, it's a place. Are we called, allowed to say that here? Yeah, I've, we're going to, we'll give them a plug. I think they're such a good pizza place. I don't care. They there used to be called yeah. Pachi's pizza. Um, oh, I've heard of them. Yeah. So they, I brought a piece to McGurk once McGurk still is, swears by his new york downtown pizza and uh pachi's pizza closed for like three years and they said they were remodeling and i literally was like i was like having withdrawals from their pizza place because i could not find pizza nearly as good as this place and they finally like rebranded as miro's and reopened and it's the exact same fantastic pizza um so if you're ever in tampa make a trip down southdale mabry it's across from Plant High School somewhere. It's like a tiny hole in the wall pizza place called Miro's, M-I-R-R-O-S, but they're phenomenal. And they don't get their water from New York. And they make just as good of a New York style pizza. Just throwing it out there. I will need to try that. I, I am a big fan of Eddie and Sam's. That's the one you're referencing first. I think yep. their pizza is amazing. I don't know that I believe if it's from the water. I just think they make good pizza, but uh, I'll have to try out Miro's. But I'm glad to know that I can use Tampa Tap or for those of you listening who aren't in Tampa, you can use your regular tap water to make pasta so long as it's hot or warm. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just got to pay your water bill and you'll be fine. Um, you know, I would say you can use regular flour. Uh, you know, flour is – we're talking about very low-cost ingredients. So, I, you know, I, I like King Arthur flour. That's kind of the domestic flour that I prefer. You can make a great pasta with King Arthur all-purpose flour. But uh, if you want to get a nicer flour, you can buy online. There's a company called Caputo's. That's C-A-P-U-T-O-S. 
they make a really nice uh, Italian flour that that's what I kind of like to, to buy and keep in my cabinets. But if I don't have it, I just go to my all-purpose flour and it'll be totally fine. And when I, by Italian flour, you mean like double O flour or you think it's semolina flour? Uh, it would be, well, either or. So double O can be a little bit confusing when you go from, from Italy and in America because they, they classify their pasta based on how fine the grind is. So double zero, you can get that in a, in a bread flour, but you can also get that in a semolina flour too. So it's just really fine ground flour. So I do like the Caputo. I think it's called pasta flour is how they market it, but it's really just a double zero ground bread flour. And it, it makes a really nice like egg-based dough. Or I buy a Samola flour from Caputo. And I'm not sure what the grind size is on that. It's probably a little coarser. And that's what I use to make semolina and water-based pasta that doesn't have eggs in it. That one, will be, that one works a little better for that. So for those of us who have no idea what a semolina flour is, and those of you who are listening who can't see, I'm pointing to myself. What is the difference between that and like an all-purpose? That's a good question. So, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to do a very broad generalization of, of Italian pasta just because I think it's easier to remember this way. But again, this is super, super simplified. But if you think about Italy, the history of Italy is very, very regional. It wasn't, it wasn't ruled by like a, a big leader ruling all over Italy for most of its existence. It's been, you know, very regional and segmented. So, each little area has its own, um, you know, history and, and culinary traditions. But, you know, a lot of food culture and history is really based on availability and what grows where, right? So for Italy, if you think of the northern part of Italy, that part of Italy had, it was more commonly found the uh, regular bread flour that, that we're used to here in the States. Um, that's the kind of flour that would make like an all-purpose, you know, flour. And, and that's, um, that's found in the north part of Italy. It also is a little more affluent there. And that that flour has less protein content. So what they would do in the northern part of Italy is they would add either egg yolks or regular eggs to that bread flour and give them the, the dough that will create like a nice um, fettuccine or ravioli or a pappardelle. Uh, sheeted lasagna sheets uh, work really nicely with that type of dough. And that's kind of typical of northern, northern Italy. Now, on the contrast of that, you have southern Italy, which was a little more impoverished than northern Italy. So the availability of eggs wasn't you know, is, is widely available. Hmm. And also they have a different type of flour that grows there, a different type of wheat that grows there. Uh, southern part of Italy, Durham wheat grows a lot more easily than it does in the northern part. So you get uh, semola flour or semolina is what they call it here in the States. It's made from Durham wheat flour. It's a little bit of a different um, flour. It has a higher protein content in it, so you don't have to put the eggs in. So, you know, like I said, Big uh, oversimplification is Northern Italy is uh, bread flour with eggs. Southern Italy is semola, semola flour or semolina flour with water. So if I have something like a King Arthur bread flour, so I, I buy that now just because with the pandemic and stuff, I've gotten into making bread, which I'm excited to know that making pasta is easier than bread because I was I screwed up a lot of loaves of bread. I, I'm assuming I can use that bread flour to make pasta, right? Yes, I would, I would use that for, a, uh, for an egg-based dough. And like I said, I, I'm simplifying it. You definitely will find pasta recipes where there are mixtures of semolina and mixtures of all-purpose flour. Or, you know, some semolina doughs do have egg. You know, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being very, very um, general. But a good way to think about it is those two types of flour, have, they bring different properties to the pasta. Durham wheat flour is going to give your, your pasta a property called uh, plasticity where you can you can shape your pasta 
uh, and it'll hold its shape a little bit better. Like you think about like macaroni, uh, cavatelli, orecchietti, those, those like pastas that are handmade, um, hand shaped, they stay that way, right? That's, that's the property you're going to get from semolina. If you're using uh, a bread flour, it, it's going to make your dough stretch better. So you're going to be able to stretch it out and get a longer pasta. That's where you're going to find things like uh, fettuccine, pappardelle, tagliatelle. That type of flour is really good for raviolis because it's a little more stretchy. So if I want my dough to be stretchy, I use bread flour. If I want my dough to hold its shape, I use semolina flour. And if I want a mixture of those two properties, I mix them. Awesome. Those of you listening at home, I imagine you probably all have all-purpose flour. Maybe buy a better all-purpose flour. Spend a couple extra bucks. But I think probably most of us have all-purpose flour at home and water. So awesome. I'm excited to try it. I know I don't need fancy tools. I'm assuming experience level, I can go with low, which I would consider myself a slightly better than novice because I do make pizza dough. Actually, I use your pizza dough recipe whenever I make pizza dough. And it's so far, it's turned out pretty good. I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, that's Jer- good. I'm glad, I'm glad it works. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy did a reel at the start of uh, the pandemic. like um, It was like a stay home reel or something like that. So Jeremy did this great reel about making pizza dough. And I'm like, I'm going to try his recipe and see how it turns out. And I did it and it made this like absolutely awesome uh, pizza. The only downside is I don't have a pizza stone. So I'm, I'm sure I've complained about that in a different episode, but I, I really need to get a pizza stone. I think it will change the, the pizza game. So what's the process? Like, what do I do? What do I, what do I start with? So obviously I need flour. I need water. Yeah, for sure. I promise you pasta dough is going to be a million times easier than that pizza dough recipe. Just like I said, because of not using yeast. So, you know, let's talk all purpose. Cause I guess most people probably have all purpose with all purpose. I would recommend adding some eggs. So what I would do is get your all purpose flour. I like to sift mine um, through like a pasta screen, sift it out onto a cutting board. And, you know, you make the, uh, you know, like you see on, pasta grannies on YouTube, right? You make the, the well in the center and then you've got a little hole and then you can add your liquids into there. So I would start with 300 grams of flour. You sh- if you're going to work with flours and doughs, you should, you should invest your, the $10 it's going to cost you to get a digital scale, set it to grams. And then I start adding my liquids. So I'm looking for 185 grams of liquid to go into my 300 grams of flour. I do two whole eggs, three yolks, And then if that's 185 grams, great, I'm done. If it's not, I add enough warm water to bring that up to 185 grams. Got it. Then I slowly pour that into my, into my flour and start mixing that with a spoon. You know, and just like, you can pull up all kinds of videos on YouTube that'll show you how to do it with the, with the fork. And that looks cool, but honestly, you you don't have to do that. You can mix it in a bowl if you wanted to. What you're looking for is to incorporate that flour, get it hydrated enough so that it starts to form into a, a dough. And it's going to be real messy at first and kind of shaggy. And once it goes from shaggy into sort of like a, a kind of somewhat of a ball, then you want to start kneading it. Now, when you're kneading it, that, that's the very important piece of pasta. What you're doing there is you're creating that gluten network in your pasta. And that's very, very important in a pasta. So you've got to spend the time uh, kneading. And what I, what I did when I first started learning this is I would set myself a timer of 10 minutes because I didn't want to underneed it. You can't, you can't really overneed it. But kneading, you're just, you're basically just, I'm not going to go on how to do that. There's, there's tons of instructional videos on YouTube on how to knead dough, but you're basically just kind of folding it over on itself. And you really want to do that a lot. And what you're doing is you're getting all the protein and gluten networks in the dough to kind of align. They start to form these, these, um, these networks with each other and start to hold the pasta together. So you continue to do that. And if your pasta 
you know, I, I wouldn't add any water or flour for the first five minutes. But once you've kneaded it for five minutes, if your pasta feels like it's a little sticky, you can add some flour. If it feels like it's a little bit dry, you can just splash some water on your hands and keep working with it. And eventually you'll get to a dough that, that feels kind of silky and smooth. And, and really, it, this is what I like about making pasta dough by hand is it really is very forgiving. You know, it's, if you add too much flour, it's not a big deal. You can always add some more water. And, and you may go back and forth um, with adding flour and water until you get it where you want it. And once it's kind of nice, silky smooth, you've created a nice gluten network in your dough. Now you want that gluten network to kind of relax a little bit. So then you want to wrap it with plastic and let it rest for 30 minutes. That will cause that gluten network to, to relax a little bit. And then it should make your pasta really easy to work with. What I'm excited to hear about that is that's what I hate about baking is baking is very precise. And that's what I enjoy about cooking for the most part. It's kind of like jazz, you know, like if something's a little off, you can add a little bit here, take a little away. Well, you can't really take it away, but you can, you can add counterbalancing things that fix it. Um, so that's really exciting to know that even if I screw up pasta, I can still possibly save my pasta that I've screwed up. Should I scramble my egg before I put it in my little, uh, as you call it, YouTube grannies, which I'm actually going to check to see if YouTube grannies is a channel now, just cause that sounds hilarious. Oh, it's a thing. There's a, it's there's a, a thing. It's great. channel uh, called Pasta Grannies. Is it really? That's what I mean. That's what I meant. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. That's hilarious. Yeah, they got like 200-year-old ladies making pasta by hand. It could be worse. They could have an OnlyFans account. So I'm glad it's a YouTube account. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you want to see like those ladies don't even measure anything. They just no. throw the pasta on and, and you can get there. I'm not there yet, but like you can get there at some point. You may have to be really old like them, but I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah. That's awesome. It's amazing what they do. So with the egg, should I take my egg and should I scramble it first, I guess? Or should I just put in whole I eggs? I don't or... think that's necessary. Okay. I would just put them in and scramble them in the, uh, you just keep scrambling inside the well before you start folding in the flour. Got it. Um, but if you could do it, you could do it either way. It would be fine. Now I'm really happy that I bought like, I don't know, three dozen eggs yesterday because I'm going to waste a whole carton basically as soon as we're off this call. But I'm really excited. It sounds pretty easy for the most part. So I let it rest 30 minutes. I cut it to shape, whatever shape that I'm going to choose to do. Do you, do you have a, a recommended starter shape? The first one I did for hand cut would be Parpadel because it's, you can't, it's easy to do. It's wide enough for you to make a little bit of an error. But if you're going to do like fettuccine or spaghetti, you, you can be thinking you're going to make fettuccine and accidentally make spaghetti. That's fine. But Parpadel works with a lot of your different sauces, especially your chunkier sauces. And it's a lot, um, it's different from what we're so normally used to seeing. You know, spaghetti is like the most popular item as far as like the shapes of pasta. I think what is it? Two thirds of all pasta production is spaghetti. So if you do something different, that's actually easier to make, especially cut by hand, like Parpadel, you kind of, you can wow your, your family or your friends and, and uh, give them a little bit of a backstory on it too. And it's easy and to make. Pappardelle is like, it's basically like a wider fettuccine, correct? Like a, like f much wider, like four times the width of oh. a fettuccine, three okay. or four times the width. Got it. Not thickness, just, you know, for those people listening who don't know their thickness from their width. That's the one, man. Start with Pappardelle and, and, and work from there. Would Pappardelle work too if I wanted to make that, I'm going to say this wrong, Gaccio e Pepe? Uh, yeah, it will be fine. It's not, it's not your best pairing, I would say, but... Um, it would be fine. You, you could definitely do that. Um, so if you want to talk about some hand-shaped pastas that aren't ones you, you roll out, I would say this would be something you'd want to do with a water-based semolina dough. But um, there's something really easy called cavatelli, 
where you're basically just, you roll the pasta out into kind of like a snake looking thing or like an earthworm kind of shape. You cut off little pieces and you really just press your thumb down and push it against the board. And you're making these little divots in the pasta. And that's cavatelli. Super, super easy. Uh, then you'd want to dry that out a little bit. And that would probably eat a little better with cacio e pepe, I think. Something to consider when we're working with different shapes is the richer the sauce and the more rigid your pasta is will contribute to how that sauce and pasta play together. You know, so everyone likes to have macaroni with their cheese, like cheese sauce, like macaroni and cheese. But if you were to put it with something like fusilli or a different kind of pasta that has more pockets in it or crevices that can capture that sauce, that works really well too. So to your point, a flat parpadel, that butter parmesan is going to slide right off, but the um, cavatelli is going to be a little bit better for that. Got it. Awesome. So with that, I know we talked about pasta and properly timing your pasta and that the box is probably not the right direction go by taste how does that work with homemade pasta right because homemade pasta is not it's not crunchy at all it's if i make it and i cook it how, how long do i cook that for so it, it like most answers it depends it's going to depend on how thick the pasta is um you know a popper deli it's probably going to take a little bit longer to cook than a tagliatelle you know, it's a thinner cut it also depends on how thin you rolled it out but you know it, with fresh pasta it's never going to take much longer than probably three minutes, maybe four tops if you're doing something kind of thick. But it won't have that crunch to it like a dry pasta would. But if you if you taste your pasta when you first made it, it's just going to taste like a bunch of, you know, raw flour, right? Um, once it gets into the water, you've got your nice boiling water, that pasta starts to release starch. As it releases starch, water starts to seep into those, those pockets where the starch came from, and you'll start to cook your pasta from the outside and the inside. And they'll start to form together and give a, you know, a real nice bite to it. And this is where I go back to al dente. You want to taste it to where when you bite the, the, the say, we're, say we're talking about pappardelle. When you bite into that pappardelle, you know, your tooth should, it should have just a little bit of give before you bite right through it. And, and that's how you kind of know. A, a good practice, I would say, if you're cooking anything from the store, is ignore whatever they say on the box because it's just a guideline. I would always check my pasta a minute or two before the box says it's going to be done just to see. Cause you can, you can always leave it in the pot longer. If you overcook your pasta, you're kind of done. There's really nothing you can do. It's just going to be mushy. I always assumed your pasta should be nice and soft like mashed potatoes. I'm kidding. We don't actually cook pasta nice and soft like mashed potatoes. It sounds disgusting. No, that would be inaccurate. <laughs> I think it's really helpful. I'm, I'm going to try and make homemade pasta and I'll probably take some photos. Um, and I'll probably talk to my wife first because something tells me I'm going to be spending a lot of time kneading. So I should make sure that she's appropriately ready for me to just stand there for 10 minutes at the kitchen table and knead. So maybe this is more of a personal thing with you guys being chefs, obviously. How come every single time I go to a restaurant, the pasta is always made better than when I make it at home, except for that one place where they say where you're there, your family, because I make pasta just as good as them. That was a shot at Olive Garden. <laughs> Lots of butter. Ah, okay. That probably is the answer. Lots of butter. So there's a restaurant in Chicago that they don't, they're not like Italian, but they they have some pasta dishes. They're, you know, new American kind of uh, upscale place and they have a really good pasta dish and he makes a um, 
a, he made a venison bolognese and he reduced it forever and it just sits on the stove all through service and simmers and he takes what he needs but when he's reducing it as he's reducing it and it's almost done he he takes it off the heat and throws a knob of butter in there and just like finishes and finishes it and i'm like and it's so freaking good it's velvety it's got mouthfeel it tastes great so i think and and you know in restaurants you know you, they don't care about your color i can take <laughs> they're gonna add whatever butter it needs whatever cheese amount it needs and i think they salt their water enough uh we go back to the salting water people don't salt their water enough so i think those three things in, in unison work really well in restaurants. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, another thing you see the home cooks do a lot of times is they won't pop toss their pasta in with the sauce. And I kind of mentioned that a little bit uh, before, but that's a big deal. You really want to always toss your pasta in the same saute yeah. pan with the sauce and let those sauces kind of meld. And, you know, you almost hit, hit on a, a classic restaurant technique is more butter. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you need to make something taste better. Just throw some butter. Just add butter. <laughs> that's probably where I'm failing on it. I can tell you, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of not using enough water for the pasta. That's something Shannon does too. We end up using like the smallest saucepan, and I'm I'm much better about it now. I think than I was before. Before I'd use like the shallowest pan that I have with like the least amount of water possible. That when it's done cooking, the like pasta's almost above <laughs> the water. <laughs> you know, when I go to drain it. So I've yeah. So does pasta always need to be savory? Because I think, you know, as, as a, as a flour-based starchy item, I think like using pizza dough. When you make pizza dough, you can use pizza dough to make like cinnamon rolls. You know, it doesn't always need to be a, a savory dish. There's, there's, um, this goes back to the, these tasty videos, which I loathe, but there's a, there's a big, there's a popular thing to take cooked pasta frying it and then coating it in sugar but it's not nearly as popular as tiramisu or any other italian dessert that's you know more acceptable <laughs> than a sweet pasta i haven't seen i haven't been to a restaurant where they are giving us uh, sweet sweet pasta where they're making churro pasta oh yeah there is uh instead of cannolis they're doing like these half sleeve filled pastas that they fry them, coat them in like, you know, sugar or whatever. And then they stuff them with cannoli filling. And I, I, I haven't had it. I, I looked it up cause I, you had that question written down. And I was like, um, I'm sure that some, I'm sure somebody is uh, some, some TikTok person's making this, but I don't know if it's a thing. Jeremy, you might know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, so you can, I mean, like in the world of culinary, you can, they're, there, there, it's kind of like people always say there are no rules, but they're kind of our rules and there's rules for a reason. Um, you know, if you're going to do, I, I, I've done like sweet sauces with pasta, but it's very, it's very difficult. Uh, and it has to be for a specific ingredient. I'd say for me, when I think about my career where I've gone a little bit sweeter has been in the fall when we've done something like a ravioli that has like a pumpkin and marscapone ravioli or butternut squash ravioli. We may do like oh, yeah. a, a sauce that has a little bit of sweetness. You know, we did a, um, one of the restaurants I worked at, we did a maple, maple cream sauce with some sage in it. And that was a, a sweeter sauce, but it was, it was mixed with a ravioli that had, it had pumpkin and cheese in it. So it, it, it worked. It wasn't all sweet. You have to balance the savory and, you know, all the, the other aspects of taste. Um, because if you just have this like super sweet pasta, I think it's going to, I think your mind is going to have an expectation of what the pasta should, should taste like. And if you break that, yeah. You can do that, but I think you have to be very careful. It's it's 
challenging to do that and do that well. I think a lot of times you're going to get is something gimmicky and like, like you almost said, some like TikTok video or something that probably looks a lot cooler than it actually takes. In the last episode, we answered our listeners' questions and one of them was, what's the worst thing you've ever made? And the worst thing I ever made was a pasta dish. It was a ravioli, pumpkin ravioli, but my sauce, if you will, was like a, it was just a, a, pom- a pomegranate reduction glaze. And it was absolutely disgusting, a combination. Just, <laughs> it was atrocious. And uh, it looked cool because it had real contrasting colors and tech, vis- visual textures. But once you ate it, you're like, oh, the, you know, the savory of the pumpkin with like the sage and spices and then the sweetness, like super sweet. Uh, pomegranate reduction i was like this is awful there's no way <laughs> so i submitted it to uh, tasty videos and now it's one of their tri- no it's not <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah it's, it's trending online now <laughs> so there you go i mean so yeah can it be done yeah but it, it's tricky I, I don't know that i would i don't think i'd venture there unless i i had to got it and this is a total total fat kid question I'm asking this for the same purpose of thinking how you would use flour traditionally, right? So making like biscuits and things like that, you make biscuits for breakfast and that's a flour base. Is there a breakfast pasta? Am I just a total fat tub of shit for asking this question? Does this exist already? The, qu- the answer is yes, you are. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, that's also an interesting question. It's like, I mean, I guess there kind of is, if you think about carbonara, uh, carbonara is, you know, bacon yeah. and eggs mixed into pasta. So I don't know that I, I don't really eat that for breakfast, but it's sort of a breakfast themed thing. Uh, I think you'd probably be better off with doing breakfast pasta than sweet pasta. It's probably going to be easier. Can we talk about carbonara a little bit more now? Cause I'm very intrigued cause I don't think I know what goes in this. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's excellent. It's, uh, I think it's traditionally done with guanciale. I, I could be wrong about that, or maybe it's pancetta or something. But um, if you have bacon, you, you saute off some bacon, um, cook your pasta, then you want to take, take, uh, take some, some eggs, whip them up into a bowl. You can add your bacon at this point, or you can add it in afterwards. Take that hot pasta, leave a little bit of that pasta water on there, pour it into the bowl, and then toss that. And as you toss it, the eggs will coat the pasta and they'll kind of cook. Now you have to be careful not to overcook your eggs or you're just going to get a bunch of scrambled eggs in there. But if you do it right, you'll get a nice, you know, sauce out of this thing between the pasta water and the, the, the cooked eggs. And it makes a real nice uh, silky pasta. You put a little bit of uh, freshly grated cheese on there, some fresh cracked black pepper, some bacon, and it, you're going to be good to go. It's really another really, really simple but delicious way to make pasta. There's a shape of pasta called garganelli, which is one of my favorites. And to me, like garganelli carbonara is, is, is an absolute wonderful combination. How hard is it to make garganelli? Because now I think I know what my afternoon plans are. You need a wooden dowel for that. Uh... Yeah, garganelli is maybe not intro level. You're, you're going to have to spend a little more on Amazon. You have to buy a, uh, what are those, gnocchi boards or whatever they call them. Yeah, you have to have the ridges to make it rigate. Dang it. So but carbonara that is one amazing. of my favorite one of f- favorite dishes uh, to make and to eat. And the one we had in Italy was amazing, like just blew us away. I was like, my gosh, better than I've ever made. And I've done it with like smoked bacon, with pancetta, with, you know, whatever. And <laughs> I just can't, can't compete. I'm really excited actually to try all these things. I'm just, I'm, I already like breakfast food most of the time anyways. So the idea of to me, that kind of sounds like a breakfast pasta. It's all the stuff I've put in breakfast. I mean, I don't see what's wrong with eating it bad at 10 a.m. 
Call it a brunch and, and say that that's okay. Yeah, like I I think it's legit. You know, have like a have avocado toast or something with it, and then you can call it a brunch. <laughs> if you put you put avocado toast with anything, it's automatically brunch. Yeah. I feel like that's right, right? It's that's there's like a you add uh, chia seeds or flaxseed or some crap to it, and then like automatically <laughs> boom, no. it's brunch. Yeah, <laughs> that right there. You're you now you've turned your carbonara from a a $10 dish to a $23 dish. There you go. Because you call it brunch. It's yeah. genius. <laughs> That's right. Well, awesome. I'm, I'm so glad to have you on the show, Jeremy. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Those of you who are listening, if you have any questions, you want to follow Jeremy's Instagram. Jeremy's Instagram, I believe is at Jeremy let. That's right. I was an early adopter of Instagram. So I was able to get like a, uh... I have to come up with a cool name, but yeah, it's Jeremy J E R E M Y Let L E T T uh, at Jeremy Let. Pretty simple. Yeah, if you give him a follow, he posts pictures all the time. He's always posting food. He's cooking. Uh, I think very recently he posted a phenomenal post with uh, Wolfgang Puck. You were very excited to see Wolfgang Puck as as uh, shown from your face. So. <laughs> That was pretty exciting. Yeah, I got to meet him in Chicago. That was uh, that was awesome. You didn't see that coming, but we just happened to be there the night Wolfgang was there. He was walking around shaking hands and um, probably infecting people with COVID. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yes. But if you give Jeremy a follow, he's always posting awesome food stuff. I, You know, like he has that reel with pizza dough. And I, I think correct me if I'm wrong, but Jeremy was trying to figure out how to do reels and stuff like that at that moment. So he did like an Instagram story, but it was great because I did a screen capture of it just so I could get the dough recipe, but it was awesome. But he's always posting really cool stuff like that. You know, if you have any questions, anything you want covered in the show, please feel free to email us at yomoscookingcast at gmail.com. If you're not already subscribed, give us a subscribe. We're pretty much available any place that podcasts are available. And, you know, as always plugged, you want to send a couple bucks so we can get Yoma, a goose egg. I'm going to say this every episode till somebody sends us five bucks to get you a, a goose egg. <laughs> if not, I'm going to use my tax return money to send you a goose egg. Maybe you can make, you can make goose egg carbonara. Here's the thing. I had the goose egg as a fried egg and it was about this big, bigger than my head. Jesus. And it was like fried, like, you know, after it's cooked and it was awful. So if you're going to make me eat a goose egg, I'm not going to make it as a fried egg anymore. It's going to, when you fry a goose egg, it's like protein and like yolk and then like a tire, just a, a car tire <laughs> on the outside. All the whites, it's the chewy, it's like chewier than gum. It's awful. No, but this, it'll be like but, Top Chef Redemption. No, it'll what I'm saying is if, to... if we're going to get this goose egg, we're going to make something different. I'm not doing it the same way. because No, no, of course. I'm not just, <laughs> we're not just going to have it so we can watch you like with tears in your eyes, like try and eat a, a car tire. I'll look like Joey <laughs> Chestnut, but not famous. Just shoving like just crappy goose egg in my mouth and crying. Just tears. No, no, no. We'll, we'll try and do like a redemption. I'm, I'm never... That's interesting. So I would have tried the same thing. Like you cook it just like a regular egg. It doesn't work that way, huh? Oh, and like duck eggs work perfectly. <laughs> That's good to know. They're interchangeable, but <laughs> goose eggs, like whatever the protein structure is of the whites, it's not. It's 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 plastic. I don't know. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> it's like soft plastic. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
are shaped like this. <laughs> <laughs> the best foods are shaped like this. <laughs> oh, what's that? what does he says in the movie? He's like, he's, he's like, you know how many foods are shaped like yeah, yeah, The yeah. best kinds. 